Welcome to another edition of Southern Wonder, a place for curiosity in the New South. Today, we're talking about hip-hop. In the decades since it was born in the Bronx, hip-hop has grown to dominate the American cultural scene. Today, it's everywhere. Advertisements, award shows, shopping malls, sold-out arenas, and in the playlists of listeners all over the world. But hip-hop has historically been tied to a specific cultural experience and a distinctive sense of place. Now that hip-hop is a global phenomenon, how has that changed? What does rap music do as a genre? How do our backgrounds inform our interactions with hip-hop music? How did hip-hop evolve from DJs spinning breaks on repeat in the late 70s to the global art form it is today? Here to talk about these things and more with me is Dr. Charles Pinckney, who is a lecturing professor at UNCC's Department of Africana Studies. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Let's see. In your bio, you refer to yourself as the academic gangster. What I found out within the academy, um, a lot of uh, professors like to have a tag name. Professors that I look up to, like Michael Eric Dyson, um, Dr. Todd Boyd at University of Southern California, is known as a notorious PhD. And I think it just gives us a little edge in the credibility of, of, of being that hip-hop professor. You've got to have a, um, a little different swagger and pedagogy. Um, I interact with a lot of urban students and, and my teaching style is very reflective of that urban population. Can you tell me when you fell in love with hip hop? I was actually a, um, a mental health substance abuse clinical counselor at a particular time. And I was actually um, on my way to Phoenix, Arizona for a conference. And I was listening to a soundtrack above the rim with Tupac. And at, on my flight, I realized that this is it. <clears throat> Something went off, a light went off in my head said, this is the connection with this young people. How can I better connect with them on issues around substance abuse, around behaviors, around lifestyles that are risky and risky behaviors that, that are detrimental to their success and growth. So I would say around the 90s, that's when I fell in love with hip hop. Let's set the stage and talk a, a little bit about what the landscape was like socially and culturally when hip-hop was born? All right, well, I, I know that you have on your playlist the message, which is probably the most outstanding production within the hip-hop history. Um, and when you listen to the message, the, me the, the title itself, The Message, they were trying to send a message to the world in terms of the level of dysfunctionality the level of chaos, the level of, of the, the, uh, the socioeconomic status of the underclass. So how did it come about musically? What was the musical evolution that led to hip-hop and rapping? Well, <clears throat> you know, hip-hop grew out of that era where disco was fading out. And um, hip-hop was actually birthed out of nothing, to be honest with you. I mean, you go back to Cool Herc, you go back to Africa Bambada. I mean, these guys were actually taking, using what they had to connect with the street, with the power on the streets, and bringing their music to the people. And But what we know it as being birthed out of the Bronx in the 70s. What characteristics distinguish hip-hop from other musical genres? Hip-hop... Um, has the ability to be real, authentic, and tell the truth. You know, I always talk about in my class with my young people that hip-hop is one of the most honest genres out there. Um, but a lot of people have some serious critical problems with honesty. 
um, you know, the, the ability to sample, um, the basic aspect is just rapping and then you put the music and that just took it to a whole new element. Um, and it's not necessarily singing, it's just rapping with the, the right beat. And you, I mean, you are a connoisseur of hip hop to a certain extent. You like the beats, but you probably like the lyrics a little more that will distinguish you between what type of hip hop consumer you are. The beats and the lyrics are kind of two different art forms, right? The right. production and the emceeing, I yeah. guess. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, the MC, uh, you know, the emceeing goes back to almost like like you are today, uh, a DJ. Um, and the MC, you know, used to actually run the, run the whole parties or run the whole events. Africa Bambada or Cool Herc, um, these were MCs, and and these MCs they had their their whole little little marketing tool to sell themselves, but also sell the radio station, sell the artists, and sell the music. And they just transferred that into the rappers. Now these rappers are the MCs, and they and now we have the beat makers. When you combine them together, then you get this dynamic piece. And it just it just makes it makes this this rap thing just take it to a whole new level. Like country, it's a very location based. Exactly. Why is that? Well, let's let's look at how hip hop started in urban cities like New York City in particular, and it suddenly went to California. California is a, is is a rural community outside of L.A. But now we're seeing hip hop in 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 the, in the South. You know, we call it Atlanta, the Dirty South. Um, in a global hip hop class at UNC Charlotte, we're actually exploring South American hip hop, and we call South America the real dirty South in terms of the chapter we're looking at with that, with the context. But you know, hip hop um, has a regional base, but I think that regional base now, with the technology and everything out there, it, it is it is just one big pot now. You've got a whole collection of a, of a luminous amount of, of rappers with all kind of um, regional flavor. That's just enriching the game. I've heard that at the the East Coast and West Coast were very established. They uh, were kind of an intellectual, I, I don't know about intellectual, but a kind of boys club. It was serious. It right. was serious work. And the South, the South's influence was a little more, it was fun. Well, let, let's, let's look at this. Let's look at, <clears throat> there's always been issues in the North and the South. We can take that back to... Uh, Civil War. Um, issues of the South being a little slower than the North. Um, before we had the technology, you know, I was born in New York, but I was raised in the South. But it was always, you know, things would come out of the North faster than would come out of the South. You know, um, fashion might come out in New York six months before it comes out down South. Music was the same way, but now that's different. So there's, it was not a misunderstanding that the northern rappers would look at the southern rappers as something foreign or are you trying to get in the game what can you really bring you know, we, we represent this stuff so for a minute it was the west coast and the east coast is it true that part of the southern influence on rap was some of the ostentation and the the grills and the cars and the shoes and the well, focus on some of those things was that a southern thing? It was, but and also I think a lot of these guys in the North looked at it as as a country thing too. You know, here and that comes back again. Uh, that's just his country boys. You know, they have the the big cars. You know, they have the trucks and everything else. But they really jumped in the game and, 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 and took it to a whole new level. But also, you had a lot of northern rappers who moved to the South. But you know, here again, how much of that stuff is really? 
par for the course in terms of the marketing of some of these record companies to say that these southern rappers are really you know um, country but they're country enough to be marketed to a consumer what were some of the other influences that the south and southern rappers had on the genre well you know it it is you you described a little earlier in terms of uh, materialistic things that seems to be the big issue but Southern rappers were also talking about some of the some issues, similar uh, social ills that were plaguing urban cities that were also plaguing rural communities, education. Um, and, and when you look deep inside of all of these rappers' um, music, they're going to be talking about some social concerns. Um, Southern rappers were talking about social concerns, education, schools, um, poverty, um, you know, and, and misogyny was, was, was par for the course again, but, you know, the critical question is, why are they talking about certain aspects of misogyny? Why are they objectifying women? When you look over the history of hip hop, what have been some of the major innovations? What has really changed the game? Shows like yours. Well, that's Technology. generous. <laughs> Technology, um, the opportunity that a young man, a young woman can go into a studio now and cut a CD for 25 or $30. They can do a video of themselves, they can put it on YouTube, and they can get found. Um, there's so many opportunities. Back in the early days of rap, these guys would send tapes into these label companies, send tapes into people like Russell Simmons or Sean Puffy Gomes and try to get on. Um, now it's, it's a lot easier. What are some of the most important cultural legacies of hip-hop that you see? Showing the intellectual connection to hip-hop. You know, a lot of people still are quick to to disregard this, this is a culture that's been under attack for a long time, and I think it will continuously be under attack, despite um, the tension that that it carries, but also the awareness that it raises. Um, there's a reason why they're talking and they're saying the things they're saying, whether it's a record label's pushing it, but. When you look deep down in the lyrics and deconstruct what's being said, whether it's about education, whether it's about poverty, whether it's about politics, one thing I try to tell you in case in the classroom, hip-hop is very social-political. So let's pay attention to what's being said. If we're talking about um, lack of um, funding in our schools, um, or we're talking about over-incarceration of, of certain population, if we're talking about police brutality, if we're talking about welfare reform, if we're talking about um, abortions, you know, there are a number of, of subtopics that are coming through on hip hop loud and clear. It seems like in some ways rap developed with an almost ambassadorial element. It's about, we were talking about it earlier, about describing a cultural reality to an audience that's unfamiliar with that cultural reality. Would you say that's a fair yeah, assessment? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a very accurate assessment. You have, you have different cultures, you have different individuals uh, from different ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses who are experiencing hip-hop through the music, through the videos, through the TV shows, the reality shows, and everything else now, and they're falling in love with it as well. Um, are they, is, is it authentic to them? No, it may not be authentic to them, but it's something they like and they can identify with. Um, do they understand the realities of, of some of these rappers and what they're saying? No, they may not, but they like what they hear. Um, and some of the rappers themselves may not be as authentic as, them, as they claim to be. And I think that's a critical piece, too, in terms of, you know, are you, a, are you really representing what you're talking about or are you a studio rapper? Do you think that it's 
effective as a bridging that cultural divide? I think hip-hop is a excellent social change agent. Um, I wrote my dissertation um, on that model in terms of using hip-hop as a social change agent, using hip-hop to to educate a population about risky behavior such as HIV and AIDS, such as um, alcohol and drug use, such as violence, you know, because at the very beginning of hip-hop, when 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 Cool Herc and, and African Bada, these guys were, African Bada in itself was in a gang. So he used hip-hop as a way of squashing the violence, you know, through verbal wars, not physical wars. Um, but hip-hop is, 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 a, is a true social change agent in terms of education, you know. So there have been some kind of big debates about things like Iggy Azalea and Miley Cyrus appropriating hip-hop culture, and and that's not unique to mm-hmm. celebrities. People who, like you were saying, it's not authentic to their own experience, but they kind of take on these affectations and stuff like that is, I mean, that seems kind of like a side effect of the some of rap's messaging getting across. Like, th- these people are who the audience is, right? As well, you know, and, and hip-hop is hip-hop audience is not the same audience. At one point, hip-hop audience was, was deep-rooted in the urban communities. It's not deep-rooted in the urban communities anymore. I mean, it's, 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 it's still connected to the urban communities, but it's been uprooted and, and, and planted all over there. So how has it influenced rap that so much of its audience today is not familiar with the cultural realities that rap talks about? Well, I think that goes back to our listeners. Our listeners have been, the um, way have to decide, well, are they intellectuals or are they hip-hop heads? Are you a hip-hop intellectual or are you a hip-hop head? But Russell Simmons says something very poignant. He says the fact that, you know, we're going to tell you what you like by what we play. And if, you, if you're tuned in to local radio stations versus uh, Internet radio, you're going to be programmed the same way. And they're going to pretty much filter your mind and tell you, this is what you need to listen to, this is what you like. And we got to get beyond that. What are some of the biggest misconceptions you come across when you're talking about hip-hop to people? Well, my, my, my biggest misconception, I wouldn't call it a misconception, is the fact that getting this young population to read, getting this young population to realize that there's scholarship out here related to hip-hop, and I need you to read it, understand it, and deconstruct it, and let's analyze it. Now, you know, it's not about just listening to music. It's, it's understanding the social and political context within this if, what information is being presented. If we're talking about the message, we're talking about a socioeconomic status, a certain group of people that have been hurt and continuously is being hurt. So tell me what's the difference between a hip-hop head and a hip-hop intellectual? Well, you know, you know, we have a lot of people who just want to say, yeah, I, I like this song. I go from, from this album, this album. I like this, I like this. I like, I don't really, I'm not trying to, to understand the context. I'm not trying to deconstruct the lyrical piece I'm just trying to feel good now a hip hop head he want, I mean a hip hop intellectual he wants to feel good or he or she wants to feel good but they also want to be uplifted they want to be educated they want to be inspired and they want to deconstruct what these artists are saying and they want to be able to look at the different metaphors and what they connect to when you start looking and pulling out the lyrical content you're looking at different metaphors there's some strong meanings you know the vocabulary that comes through hip hop is, is one of the most strongest vocabularies out there and for educators not to pay attention to the vocabulary that hip hop generates, you're doing yourself a disservice, you're doing your students a disservice, because you vocabulary should be something that we build upon. And hip hop gives us that opportunity to build upon. 
So I wanted to talk about the way we judge and critique rap as an art form. And rap music and hip hop often has to assert its legitimacy as an art in ways that other art forms don't. Why do you think that is? Well, let's take it from the very top. Artists. Let's take the tiss off. It's art right there. And you were saying that it's often delegitimized because of the three Ds, right? Did you remember that, that the That three third Ds one? are devalued, discriminated, and disrespected. And, and the same thing can be said to a lot of the young kids who are really value hip-hop. They are devalued, discriminated, and, dis- and, and disrespected in the same context because they listen to this music. You know, what you get out of rap music, some John Doe may not. We don't often judge other genres of music on their political messages or their social messaging, but that's often an element of rap music. It seems like one of the foundational aspects of hip-hop. How has the legacy of rap as a political form of speech kind of influenced how the genre is perceived? I I think that is one of the most strong points of hip-hop that is very, if it's not political, what is it? And it's not social political. What is it? The social political messages that are coming out of it. I mean, the message in itself was social political. What are we gonna do? What do we, I mean? There are people who are who are who are on the edge, and even in 2017, we have people who are on edge, and you have a certain population that's looking for hip hop to provide that that direction, that answer, that political. Um, underpinning that's going to carry them to the next level. Now it feels sometimes like there's two schools of there's the kind of social political hip-hop that feels like it's part of a legacy of Mm -hmm. hip-hop and then there's also very commercial very soldier boy type things going on that's just pop has popular appeal and It seems like that legacy of rap being a a social political art form would make the more commercial artists seem less gifted or that that what they're doing is not as legitimate as art. Has that been the case? I I think that's that's a very accurate statement. And here again, you're going to have individuals who want the soldier boy and not want the Kendrick Lamar. so let's have had a conversation with Knife Wonder and Mark Anthony from Duke back in um, last semester in November that we they came to town, and um, the question came up about Twenty One Savage: Is this hip hop? Is it not hip hop? And Knife Wonder was very honest with: It's hip hop, but it may not be hip hop that you like. But the reality is, it is a form of hip hop, and that shows here again the degree and diversity within hip hop. Do you see the commercialization? of hip-hop as a corrupting influence? I think Kevin Powell said it best. Um, he calls it the, um, the co-option of hip-hop, where it has been co-opted by the, the big record labels who are not African-American, who don't look like me, but have a bigger stake in the game. Um, and when you bring that commercialization to the piece, what it is, it has two folds. It expands hip-hop to a, a bigger picture, but it also takes away a little of the authenticity of hip-hop. What could a rap consumer do to, to counter that at all or to... Read more, um, uh, listen to interviews. Um, I mean, there, there is a plethora of information out here by rappers 
um, by individuals such as yourself, shows like this gives gives the listener an opportunity to be more informed, more engaged, and more educated. You know, uh, I tell young people in the classroom, the more you know, the more you can do. Listen to an NPR interview, listen to interviews that these rappers are talking about, and then you want to critically critique what they're talking about during these serious interviews and what they're saying on their music. And then you start to, to better have a better understanding of that particular rap and what is he saying, what is he really putting out. Let's not call him rappers, that particular artist. What is this person, what is this artist really about? Is he about something that is really trying to uplift or is he just trying to sag, sign on and make more money? Do you do you feel like rappers can't be as critical of the mainstream as they might otherwise be because they're now part of the mainstream? Some of them are, you know, but you know, but here again, you know, it it is uh, it's it's a big it's a big game. It's almost like um, the mafia. You know, you sign on with these labels. You these labels really own you to a certain extent. So therefore, you got to do what the label says. You have mentioned some of the things about misogyny and objectification, and I was hesitant about talking about this because I know that those allegations of misogyny are often used to discredit the whole genre, uh, that it can be misinformed at best, racist at worst, but as a woman that enjoys hip-hop, I sometimes have visceral reactions against the way women are portrayed, but at the same time, the culture is also something that's almost totally foreign to me. So how should I approach and think about hip hop that makes me uncomfortable that way? Well, I, I would start by this. I always ask my, this question to my students. Is hip hop driving the ills or, or is the ills driving hip hop to talk about misogyny, to talk about objectification? Um, what is the root cause that's making an artist describe and disrespect and devalue and discriminate against a woman in, in, in that way that is that's ugly. The critical question again would be what is society doing to back it, support it, and endorse it? Because I think society has a critical role in this. Long before misogyny, objectification became a big issue in hip hop, it was part of society. It was a root part of society. It goes way it goes back to the beginning of, of these United States of America. Rappers, do they do they have a responsibility that other musical artists don't have? I, th I think if I think any artist has a responsibility to talk about what is right and what is just. A lot of these terms are just the catch terms, you know, the B word, the N word, um, and then you talk about describing an individual within the context of that. It's how it's framed within the context and how it's packaged and how it's marketed that really has society saying enough is enough. So what do you look for musically that makes you think this is great art? Well, I, I like all of it because I, I am, my PhD is in psychology. So I'm always studying, listening, analyzing, and critiquing. So why did they say this? What are they really saying? Let me pull the lyrics up. What if he had said this versus that? Would they have the same connection? What, what is the content of, of his music and his message there? And now that means we're starting to be very critical and, and use it as it comes back to the intellectual piece of hip hop.
would it be possible for you to narrow down your top three albums? Oh, man, that is tough. I mean, I, I love Biggie Small's Ready to Die because here again, being a, being in, in the field of psychology um, and dealing with mental health aspects, that whole album spoke just the true volumes of his level of depression. And from beginning, from, 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 from conception, I mean, to, to his birth, through through his death, and the last track on this on the album was suicidal ideation. So, and you hear the phone calls and the gunshots in the end. But each track gave you a a narrative and a description about his level of depression and stress and what he did to cope with it. Um, probably the uh, the Kendrick Lamar, and um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big Tupac fan. I mean, it, it, it's hard to to to. I I I like the Snoop's music, but I would go with Kendrick. I would go with Biggie, and um, I'll probably go with Jay Z, um, the Blueprint. What are you most excited about in the world of hip hop right now? <sighs> the next chapter, where we're gonna go and how we're gonna get there, and uh, we have to have more critical thinkers, more critical writers. Um, to create a landscape of scholarship that's going to catch the next generation. If a listener is new to hip-hop but has been interested in our conversation and wants to engage more, uh, what would you recommend that they seek out? Do you have a book or a documentary or a specific album that you would point them to? Well, I would have them to check out The Wonder Years by Knife Wonder. uh, and they, Knife One is also a hip hop fellow at, at Harvard, and he's got a new documentary that should be released now um, about his experience um, at, at, at Harvard being a hip hop fellow traveling from Duke to Harvard. Uh, this was my guest, Dr. Charles Pinckney, who is a lecturing professor uh, in UNCC's Department of Africana Studies. And thank you for joining me for Southern Wonder. Mm-hmm.